We are nearing the end of Hosea the prophet. His 14 chapters that we have in our Bibles, we are nearing the end of those. This morning we're in Hosea chapter 12. And if you're joining us for the first time, I can't summarize all that's been said, but I, I can try in a few brief sentences to say this. Hosea has had a relentless, continued indictment against the people of God for their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And he has continuously called upon them with an urgent call to return to the Lord. And the same is going to be true in our passage this morning. Uh, I'm going to read selections from Hosea chapter 12. For, for, the, for the purpose of the sermon, I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 8 and verse 14. Uh, so those will be the passages, the, the, the selections that I read. But before I read it, let me, let me say this. Those of you who are educators know this. Those of you who are parents know this. Those of you who are students are learning this. But it's the principle that repetition is key to learning, right? Repetition is key to learning. And so as we've looked chapter by chapter at Hosea's teaching and that urgent call for people to return, you're right to conclude that Hosea seems to be saying the same thing over and over and over again. That's precisely right. Why is he doing that? Why is he beating this horse to death? It's because repetition is key to learning. We've always known that. And so he has said the same thing, and he says it frequently in different ways with different metaphors, but it's always the same conclusion that your sins have been your downfall and you must return to the Lord. And here it is again. Hosea chapter 12, you'll hear that same repeated theme. Verses 1 through 8 and verse 14. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel. And overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord Almighty, the Lord is his name. But you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice. And wait for your God always. The merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. But Ephraim has aroused his bitter anger. 
His Lord will, le will leave on him the guilt of his bloodshed and will repay him for his contempt. Let's pray that the Lord would help us understand and rightly apply his word. Lord, this morning, would you be our teacher? That's always our prayer. That, Lord, you would help us to understand these words written long ago to a different people in a different culture and in a different context, but with, oh, so much similar to ourselves. So, Lord, teach us and help us to rightly apply your word. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How we are doing on the outside can oftentimes reveal how we are doing on the inside. How we're doing externally is sometimes directly related to how we're doing internally. Now, some of you know this um, from your own dietary experience. The things that you eat can lead to brittle nails, thinning hair, bad skin, right? These things are true. Um, how you're doing and what you're taking in can affect who you are on the outside. And spiritually, that's Hosea's message to the Israelites. You remember back in a previous chapter early on, Hosea had identified that it was the priesthood and the spiritual diet of Israel that had become their downfall. That was the source of their ruin. What they were taking in spiritually had affected who they had become, how they worshipped God, how they viewed themselves. And that's the second aspect of what Hosea is saying here, is that you've got to have an accurate read of yourself. Know thyself. Have an accurate read. Don't be delusional in your understanding of who you are. Delusions of grandeur are a thing. And that is a false belief in one's status, one's achievements, of one's power, or of one's importance. Delusions of grandeur are real spiritually. And Israel, in the passage that we just read, Hosea would say, you've got delusions of grandeur. The way that you're reading yourself, yourself deceived. And that's the nature of his prophecy here, his words in the 12th chapter of Hosea. Israel has a problem with self-deception. Self-deception. Listen again to what is said in verse 1 and verse 8. Ephraim, or Ephraim, and remember that's just another name for Israel, feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. And then in verse 8, here's the great grandeur delusion. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. And with all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. So two things, really three things here about Israel's self-deception. He begins by saying Israel feeds on the wind. Well, what does that mean? George Schwab in his commentary on Hosea says this, What is clear is that God's people had trusted in Egypt 
and Assyria, which was utter folly, like trying to nourish oneself on the wind. Now, I want you to picture that. Um, have you heard of the wind diet? You can lose a lot of weight on the wind diet, right? All week thinking about that imagery, I, I, I just can't help but picture a Labrador retriever with his head out the, the car window, and you've seen it a thousand times like I have, just loving the air in his face and opening up those, those cheeks and just, just taking it in. Taking in a lot of nothing. That's Israel. And Israel is boasting about how full they are. They are boasting about how well they are. And, and the imagery of the prophet is they're, they're feeding on nothing. They're taking in nothing and they're boasting and bragging about how well they are doing. Then he says, in the second part of one, that they are multiplying their sins. Or we might talk of compounding their sins. They're, their sin is getting more and more complicated. It's, getting, it's, it's compounding. It's compounding like debt or like interest. And it's lies and violence that God's people have become known for. Now remember the theme that was our pastoral prayer, that God's people, they, they were to abhor dishonest scales. They were to be about love and justice and mercy. And here Hosea is telling them, you people who are so confident, you people who are feeding on the wind, you're known for lies and for violence. That's not bearing the image of God in the world. That's the opposite of the image of God. And so he's saying Israel is deceived. They are self-deceived. And thirdly, to that point, strangely, in the midst of that, with those condemning words... He says, and yet, somehow, you are fully assured. You are so self-confident. Though you are such a ruined mess, you are fully assured. And that's those words of verse 8. Ephraim boasts, I'm very rich. I've become wealthy. I'm a self-made man. And he says, with all my wealth, they'll not find in me any iniquity or sin. Do you hear how self-confident the prophet is saying Israel is. They've got this. They've, they've figured out life. They know what they're doing. And there's no guilt or shame for them. And the prophet would say the opposite is true. Remember Proverbs, the 11th proverb, verse 4 says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And so the scripture and the testimony of scripture is consistent. It's not the power of princes or horses or wealth that protects a people. It's righteousness. And namely, it's the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ that delivers on the day of judgment. Somehow, Israel strangely was very self-assured because they were very self-deceived. George Schwab goes on to say, Hosea charges God's people for being unfaithful and untrue to their God and for being treacherous in their dealings with each other, all while being self-assured that they are above any criticism. And that's a condemning statement 
That is a charge against Israel that in all of your ruin, in all of your lostness, somehow you're able to pat yourself on the back and say, I'm okay, I am guiltless, I am sinless, and my prosperity proves it. Such was the self-deception of Israel. The second lesson the prophet has concerning Israel and their lostness is Israel's constant grasping and drifting. And here is where in verses 2 through 5, he retells the story of Jacob. He speaks of the origin of Jacob, which in the scriptures we've visited this year, from Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 to 26. You remember that Jacob being born as a twin, and the scripture says that as he was born, he came out grasping the heel of his brother Esau. And the image from day one, from moment one of Jacob, is that he's a grasper. He's a usurper. He's a taker. And story, the story unfolds that sure enough, that is, that is who he was. He had a conniving spirit. He was always working the angles to his own benefit, to his own advantage. And the Lord in Hosea goes on to say here, God's people have always been that way. They come out grasping for anything but God. They come out drifting from day one, wandering in the wilderness, not being the people that they're called to be. And so the origin of Jacob is the history of Israel. It is the history of God's people. It's the history of you. It's the history of me. There's something about the human heart that's always grasping for something more. It's grasping for anything else but the Lord. Yet nothing will satisfy it. Nothing else will satisfy, but we will grasp and we will drift. So that's the origin of Jacob. It's the history of Israel. And there's a lesson to be learned here about the human heart. And that is what John Calvin told us. And we revisited this a few weeks ago. But we're not afraid to repeat ourselves, right? Because repetition is key. It's the heart of learning. John Calvin said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Meaning you and I crank them out all the time. We crank out ways to be idolatrous. Ways to find something else, anything else other than God and His glory to be our drive and our passion and our focus. So the origin of Jacob tells us the history of Israel, which really tells us about the human heart that every single one of us has. We are grasping, we are a drifting people. We misplace our hope, which is to say we put our hope in the wrong things. We put our, our hope in petty things, small things, and somehow we will falsely assure ourselves that we're okay. And that sums up every one of us, and that sums up the world in which we live. But to that, Hosea speaks, and repetition is key. He continues to indict them, and he continues to call Israel with a sense of urgency to return to the Lord. That's his conclusion. That's his conclusion every week in what he's written to the people. There is an urgent, repetitious call to return to the Lord. And that language of return, we've looked at in previous weeks when he has used it before. 
It is a picture of repentance. It is a picture of turning back to the Lord. It's a picture of change. It's a picture of renewal, of not remaining as you are, but going back to the Lord to stop grasping for other people, places, and things and to return to the Lord, to stop drifting off in a direction and to return to the Lord. Hosea would say it's the call to be faithful as the covenant people of God in the earth. That you are to be a faithful bride to your husband. That you are to be the church of the living God in the world. And in all of this, week after week, repetition is key. His point is the same. What he wants these people to do is to admit their guilt and their shame. Two things we don't like to talk about in our culture. Guilt and shame. But, but Hosea is doing this. If you've ever had an animal that you, you disciplined, whether a dog or a cat, who would make a mess in your house, and, and you would put the animal's face in that direction, and you would say, stop it. You would say, no. Essentially, that's what Hosea is doing. This is who you are. You are making the same mess all the time. Admit it. Confess it. And return, stop, return to the Lord. That is Hosea's message. You are a guilty people. You are a people who should have shame for failing to honor the Lord in who you are in the earth. Now, Avit Brothers fans, those who know that music group will recognize the title of the sermon today. Others of you can Google it later. But it's shame. Boatloads of shame. And the lyrics to that song say this. Shame. Boatloads of shame. Day after day, more of the same. Blame. Please lift it off. Please take it off. Please make it stop. And the song is about a a relationship gone bad between a, a man and a woman. But it captures so well what Hosea just wishes Israel, the people of God. The conclusion that they should come to is that they have guilt, they have shame in the boatloads. Not a little bit of shame. Boatloads of shame. Now, the sermon could end there. And it would all be true. But we would be missing what's offered to us as the people of God. And that is this. For those who have boatloads of shame, which I hope Hosea has convinced you is you, is me. For those who have boatloads of shame, the Scriptures say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Boatloads of grace, boatloads of mercy, boatloads of Hesed love that we have talked about in previous weeks. You and I have boatloads of shame, boatloads of guilt. But behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away the guilt of the world, who takes away the shame of the world and offers Himself 
instead. And that's what brings us to our table this morning. You exchange your boatloads of shame, your boatloads of guilt, and He offers to you boatloads of grace, boatloads of mercy, abundant love, abundant mercy for those who will confess their sins and look to the Lord Jesus as their only means of forgiveness. On the subject of shame, Ed Welch, Christian counselor, says this, Release from shame cannot be earned. It comes by being connected to someone of infinite worth. It comes from marrying the right person. Sin links you to the wrong person, but faith links you to the right person. And he's speaking there of the Lord Jesus. Shame should bring us to confess our sin and our guilt to God. Shame is not a bad thing when it leads you to the Savior, to the one who can bury your shame, who can bury your guilt. So this morning, you're invited, I'm invited, to be honest about who we are. We have boatloads of guilt, boatloads of shame. But behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He exchanges your boatload of guilt and shame for boatloads of grace. Infinite mercy found in Jesus. In a moment, we're going to close with a song. And I want to highlight some of the lyrics in this, for us, what will be a communion hymn. But with the weight of Hosea and the constant reminder of your sin and my sin, I want you to, to hear that through the ears, with the ears of what our hymn is going to say. It is a good thing to, to feel the weight of guilt when you come to the table and, and find that guilt removed. And it's not a good thing to, to take sin lightly, to think that it doesn't really matter, because it does. So in a moment, we're going to sing these lyrics. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the Word, the Lord's anointed, Son of Man, and Son of God. You see, the emphasis is that our sin really is great, and we need to know it, we need to feel it. And in knowing it and feeling it, we feel the relief, the real relief that is found in the forgiveness of sin by the Son of God, who bore the weight of our guilt and our sin for us, who was literally torn and broken for us. He did not take our sins lightly. He took them full in the face and dealt with them once and for all, forever. And that's what makes us a worshiping people. Let's pray and we'll sing and we'll come to the table. Lord, we thank you that though the badness of the bad news really is bad, the goodness of the good news really is good. And so this morning, Lord, would you help us to believe not just that we have boatloads of guilt and shame, but that there is a Lamb of God who has taken away 
the sin of the world. So Lord, may we sing and may we sing of Him. May we give Him glory as we celebrate what He has done for His church. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.